And it's another week. This is Andrew Wood, Executive Director of Hope Resource Center. Thank you so much for tuning in, whether that be live over at Joy620 or you're listening to the podcast, investinghope.com or Google Play, iTunes, Podbeam, Spotify, wherever podcasts are found. You can find this show. Today we got a lot to talk about. We're going to start with a a new study that that is staggering and concerning when it comes to uh, young girls and, and the depression uh, epidemic that is sweeping our nation. Uh, we're going to look at that, then we're going to look at some some news out of Washington when it comes to the military and their funding. Now they're funding, uh, they're finding interesting and creative ways to fund abortion uh, with your tax dollars when it comes to the military. We're going to look at that, and then we'll look at a couple other things. But but I want to start with uh, this piece over the New York Times. Teen girls report record levels of sadness, CDC finds. Uh, and the, the article says this, nearly three in five teenage girls felt persistent sadness in 2021, double the rate of boys, and one in three girls seriously considered attempting suicide, according to data released on Monday by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. The findings, based on surveys given to teenagers across the country, also showed high levels of violence, depression, and suicidal thoughts, among lesbian, gay, and bisexual youth. More than one in five of these students reported attempting suicide in the year before the survey, the agency found. The rates of sadness are the highest reported in a decade, reflecting a long-brewing national tragedy only made worse by the isolation and stress of the pandemic. I think there's really no question what this data is telling us, said Dr. Kathleen Ethier, head of the CDC's Adolescent and School Health Program. Young people are telling us that they are in crisis. The Youth Risk Behavior Survey was given to 17,000 adolescents at high schools across the U.S. in the fall of 2021. The survey is conducted every two years, and the rates of mental health problems have gone up with every report since 2011. There was a mental health crisis before the pandemic. It just didn't catch everyone's attention the way it does now, said Dr. Corey Green, the Director of Behavioral Health Education and Integration in Pediatrics at Cornell Medicine in New York City. Still, Dr. Green said that she is seeing more of her young patients test positive on screenings for depression. The pandemic led to more social isolation, a risk factor for depression, she said. She also pointed out that depression symptoms sometimes manifest differently in boys and girls, which might not be fully reflected in the survey. Although girls with depression often have persistent feelings of sadness or hopelessness, which the survey asked about, boys with depression often exhibit Uh, irritability or aggression, she said. On a handful of topics, the survey results suggested teenagers were doing better than in previous years. They reported lower rates of illicit drug use and bullying at school, for example, and teenagers are having less sex with fewer sexual partners than in previous years. But about 57% of girls and 69% of gay, lesbian, or bisexual teenagers reported feeling sadness every day for at least two weeks during the previous year. And 14% of girls, up from 12% in 2011, said they had been forced to have sex at some point in their lives, as did, uh, let's see, some point in their lives. When we're looking at experiences of violence, girls are experiencing almost every type of violence more than boys. Uh, We need to talk about what's happening with teenage boys that might be leading them to perpetrate sexual violence. The researchers also analyzed the data by race and ethnicity, finding that black and Hispanic students were more likely to report skipping school because of concerns about violence. White students, however, were more likely to report experiencing sexual violence. 
The increase in sadness and hopelessness was reported across all racial groups over the last decade. Though black students were less likely to report these negative feelings than other groups, they were more likely to report suicide attempts than white, Asian, or Hispanic adolescents. The 2021 survey asked about students, uh, of course, they go into sexual orientation and other things. But the reality is this is uh, concerning. The CDC survey follows another bleak report released by the agency last week showing that suicide rates were up among younger Americans and people of color after a two-year decline. The CDC report stressed that healthy relationships at schools can improve adolescents' mental health. Look, we, we can point to a number of factors. We can point to the pandemic and school closures, and that certainly, uh, it, it appears. And, and there were some of us that were saying this was going to be a problem. There were some of us saying, if you close down everything and you isolate these students or you send them back home to abusive situations, that this was going to be a, a ramification and a, and a plague on our society for years to come. And now we're seeing that. But, but also, in our current society and culture, we have everything literally at our fingertips. Everything. You can buy something today, and it'll be shipped to your door today. You can, you can Google and, and find out literally anything you ever wanted to find out right now, immediately. If, if there's something going on in the world... You can know about it. If there's an atrocity, if there's a hurricane, if there is a tornado, if there is an earthquake, you know about it immediately. If there's a school shooting, if there's police brutality, if there's literally anything, you can know about it immediately. And all we're doing as a society is handing supercomputers to our children and saying, good luck with that. And then our children take these supercomputers out of their pocket and they Google and they search and they get on social media and they, they get bullied and they participate in the bullying and they, they look at all these images and they think, I'm never going to amount to what they are. And they see all these things and it's the keeping up with the Joneses narrative all over again. And then we wonder why our girls are depressed. We wonder why our boys are being violent and aggressive. Look, I can't parent your children, and I'm not here to say one way or the other if you're, what you're doing is right or wrong. I pray what you're doing is the right thing. But, but we must have a conversation about the access that we're giving to our children to social media. And it's hard. I get it. My kids are homeschooled now, but when they were in school, they had a day at a private Christian school called Technology Day. Bring your favorite gadget. Kids were bringing their phones, their game systems. You know what the Wood Kids brought? Nothing. You think that was fun, telling my son you can't bring anything? No, it, he was upset probably a little embarrassed. But, but I know the dangers that come with even filtered access because you can only filter so much. Look, and this isn't just our, our teens and just our kids. This is also our adults. 
Many of us are addicted to social media. Many of us are addicted to these supercomputers that are in our pockets. And, and we're dealing with our own anxiety and depression and well, why can't I have what that family has? Or why can't I have what she has? Or why can't I achieve the, the physique that he has? We wrestle with this. And then we wonder why our kids wrestle with it. We have our heads down in our phones all the time. And then we wonder why our kids want to have their heads down in their phones all the time. I saw a video the other day of a, I don't know if it was on the golf course or it was, no, it was, it was LeBron James. LeBron James officially became the, the leading scorer of all scorers in the NBA's history. He beating out Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And when you watch the video of him scoring that, that point, Everyone in the audience has their phones out filming. Why? Because we have to capture it. And, and we have to, we almost prefer to see the world through the camera lens of our phone. Instead of just being present and engaged. Now I get it. Some of y'all are going, man, you're just a fuddy-dud. You know, I want to capture those moments with my children. I want to capture those moments with my with my spouse, I'm going to capture those moments with my family. Like, I'm not telling you not to record anything. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is, are we working to be present and engaged? Maybe our kids are depressed because they don't have anyone to share anything with at home because we're not engaged and present. I saw something the other day that said, your kids don't need a perfect dad. They just need a present dad. Your spouse doesn't need a perfect husband or a perfect wife. They just need a present husband or a present wife. These studies, this data is a cry for help. Our teenagers in America are saying to surveys, I have been unhappy two weeks straight every single day. I am depressed. I'm being bullied. I'm being abused physically, mentally, sexually. And what are we doing? You know, in society will say, well, the answer is just being more accepting of all these uh, genders and being more accepting of all these lifestyles. And No, that's not the answer. Because data shows that's not the answer. Now, now, from a biblical worldview, a biblical standpoint, the answer is Jesus in the gospel. To say that even on your worst day, Jesus went to the cross for you. That you're the son or daughter of the, the God of the universe. That our God loved you so much, he picked you before the foundations of the earth. That's how much our God loves you. So when you feel like the world has turned against you, when you feel like there's no one there, when you feel like you're all alone, you're not all alone, as David said in Psalm 139, where can I go from your spirit? No matter where I go, no matter where I try to hide, you're always there. You're not alone in this.
And look, we've had we've had conversations as a culture over the years on uh, on Nintendo and PlayStation and games and Call of Duty and and are these violent games creating violent humans? And, and I I don't know. There's back and forth on that. I I've known people that have played games that that are violent that would never hurt anybody in real life. But we do now have studies and data that show there's an addiction to social media. And we're giving these, this access to our children. And then they're going down the rabbit holes and they're getting addicted. We would never say, hey, here's a pack of cigarettes. Now just go, you know, go be wise with it. You're, you're 11, but go be, go be wise with those cigarettes. Don't smoke them all at once. Just be wise with them. Oh, you're 11. Here's a 12-pack of a bud, you know, just go, go be wise with it. We wouldn't do that. And I get it. You're like, well, well, they're young, but they, I need to be able to contact them. Okay, they make flip phones. Okay, I know some of us are going, you know, you're, you're stepping on my toes. And, and look, taking, taking that away isn't going to be the answer either. Those are temporary fixes. Those are, are, are you know, fixes that, that we might can bring about. But, but again, ultimately, our kids need to see that their value isn't in how they look. It isn't in their gender. It isn't in their sexual identity. It isn't in those things that the world says brings about value. It's in who created them, their intrinsic value. And what messages are they getting in their feed? What messages are they getting in their mind, in their heart? So I have three daughters. And I have a son. And so when I, when I see studies like this and, and our young ladies are depressed and they're being abused, it breaks my heart. And then when I see studies like this and it says our, our young boys are, are being aggressive and violent, it breaks my heart. What kind of men are we raising? What kind of young ladies are we raising? And see, even this study says there's a difference between the way boys deal with this and the way girls deal with this. But at the same time, these folks putting these studies together in our culture would say there is no difference between boys and girls. We don't even know what a boy or girl is. You can't have it both ways. You can't find a remedy to correct this if you refuse to define what a boy and what a girl is. Like, we have to understand that. We'll be back. So as we continue the conversation, look, I, you know, I get it. I, I know that people are hearing this and they're going, well, I mean, my kid needs that phone or my kid needs that. Or, you know, in order to, to continue to do what they do at school, they need access to this or access to that. Look, this is what... Th- this is what happens when we progress. Look, progress is a good thing. But sometimes during that progress, we go so far that we overcorrect. And then we, then we reach this place of why, why are our young girls depressed? Why are our teenagers depressed? Why are our boys being violent and aggressive? What is happening now? And we can look at it that a, a number of ways. We could say there's fatherlessness issue and there's no dad at home taking care of this. There's 
you know, moms and dads are having to work, so they're not at home when kids get home from school, and, and so that plays a role. Look, look, there's a lot of things that go into this. But at the very least, this data should wake us up. And, and, and what is it, what is it going to cause us to, to do? And if we know that our children are depressed and our children are struggling, what are we doing to, to correct that, to prevent that? One time I heard a story where a family said, they told a pastor, they said, my, our, our son is addicted to porn. And, and he's been looking on our computer. We, we looked at the, uh, the search history on our computer and he's, he's looking at porn. What do we do? Hey, we've, we've approached him about it. We talked to him about it. But we keep finding this search history. And the pastor said, you need to get the computer out of the home. Well, the, the, the parents said, well, well, I mean, we need the computer. He needs a computer for school. We need a computer for work. We need the Internet. What else do you recommend? And the pastor said, I, I recommend getting the computer out of the home. Well, but, but we, you don't understand. We have to have the computer because the computer, it gives us access to X, Y, and Z, and the computer allows them to do book reports, and the computer allows us to do the work that we need to do at home. And then the pastor said, you told me that your son is facing an addiction that he can't beat. And, and you are keeping that thing which is, is allowing the addiction to occur in the home. You're keeping it in the home. So my recommendation is get rid of it. Or this is probably going to continue to happen. And then the family walked away. And I know that's a bit of an extreme analogy and example, but, but we have to understand and recognize if our, if our kids are struggling, if our kids are dealing with depression or anxiety or, or addiction to a phone or social media, I mean, if you've ever, if you've ever raised children and you, and you took something away as a discipline, like, hey, we're going we're gonna to take this away because of the way you've been acting lately, and they lose their mind over that, typically that's a, that's a response because they, they, need, they think they need whatever that is in their life. And oftentimes that's what we see with our phone. But look, it ain't just our kids. I've left my house before with my phone, and I turned around. And I was late to where I was going. I turned around to go get my phone because I couldn't leave it. As a society today, on hot, on hot summer days, some people have said, leave your phone back behind the baby's car seat because you won't forget your phone. And then you'll remember you have a baby in the car with you. So our culture is saying, you love your phone so much that you remember it more than the baby in the vehicle with you. And so these are, these are difficult conversations. But they're conversations that need to be had. Look, here's the reality. Our children will take cues from us. Who we are will play a major role in who they are. So get busy becoming who you want them to be. And look, it's not too late or too early to make that shift. It's not. So before we move on from this, 
this topic, I want to offer you seven points on how we can engage when we see data and studies like this. First, tell your daughters you love them. Use words, actions, and words again. Tell them you love them. They need to know they are loved. This data is a cry for help that must not go unheard. So don't hear these numbers and these studies and then just go on about your business, especially if you have daughters. Let them see your eyes, not the top of your head, as you constantly browse and look on your phone. Oftentimes when our kids say our name, we don't respond because we got our face in the phone. Or when they look over at us, they don't see our eyes They see the top of our head because we're looking down at our phone. Be very cautious about their tech use, social media use, and online engagement. Extremely cautious. Know their friends and their friends' family. Know who they are. Raise your boys to be gentlemen that protect, provide, and love. Not boys that cover, shirk responsibilities, or that cower, shirk responsibilities, and prey on others. And then the last point is simply refer back to point one. Tell your daughters you love them. Use words and actions and words again. It's worth it, folks. It's worth it. My aunt sent me a video the other day from back in the 90s. And it's a home video. It it was taken at my dad's house, the house I grew up in until my parents divorced house my dad still lives in and in the video our family's all together and I don't know if my grandmother I don't know who's who's recording but they were recording with one of those big old VHS you know movie what we called movie cameras back then and they're recording in the kitchen and there's people sitting at the kitchen table talking to each other there's my aunt is is washing dishes and then they record in the den of my dad's house and I'm sitting on the couch with my uncle and you can tell, you can hear the basketball game in the background. We're watching a basketball game. My cousin is playing with a toy. Then it, then it shows my other little cousin playing with a toy. And it shows people engaging and interacting with each other in the house. And no phones in sight because no smartphones were around at that point. No, no phones in your pocket at all at that point. For us, anyway. And I, I just remember watching that and going, you know, if, if somebody came in my house... When we have a get-together now, in 2023, how many people are on their phone and not engaging with each other and having conversations? I mean, we, we know this. When you go out to eat, how many people are looking down at their phones? When you go to the Smokies, when you go to Dollywood, when you go to any get-together, a ball game. We have a problem. And it's not just a problem for teen girls or teen boys or uh, or our young kids. It's not not just a problem for middle schoolers and high schoolers. It's not a problem that's, that's only geared toward young people. It's a problem in our culture. And I get it, I sound like the old fuddy-dud, get-off-my-lawn old man. But this is something I'm wrestling with. 
Because like I said, I have these moments and these tendencies of, oh, where's my phone? Where's it at? I got to have it. I got to have it in my pocket. I got to be able to look at this. Got to be able to look at that post. Got to be able to see what Twitter's saying about this. Oh, this news happened today. What are they saying about that? What are they saying about this? Like, I got to have all those things. And then we poke fun at people like my dad that only has a, a flip phone. Doesn't have access to all that stuff. But you know, he manages. He still knows more news than, than the vast majority of people. And so I'm not saying the answer is to, to go back to the way we lived in the 90s or the 80s or the 70s or, or any decade. What I'm saying is when the data shows this and people around us are struggling and those people are our teen girls and teen boys and our middle schoolers, it should move us to act. And so what does that mean for you? I can't act for your family, but I can make changes in my own household. So what changes are we willing to make to get us to a better place? We'll talk more when we come back. Look, I could go on and on about that study from and data from the CDC uh, that, I, that I talked about in the first segment and second segment, uh, but, but I'll move on to another topic. I would simply say pray for our young people. I mean, this, this is, there are things going on, and, and frankly, out of their control. The adults in the room back in 2020 made some decisions, and, and some of those decisions were made because we had no idea what we were dealing with with this pandemic. So, so the early days, those decisions were made, and, and no one knew if it were the right or wrong decisions on the, in the early days. But quickly we realized what we were dealing with and that, that our kids could go back to school. But, but the adults in the room said otherwise and made some choices that now we're dealing with and we're going to deal with for decades to come with loss of reading, loss of education, kids missing from the system, not even going there. It's not that they were pulled out of the public school and put in a home school or a private school. They're, we don't know where they're at. They're not in school anywhere. And so the adults in the room were supposed to take care of these young people and they didn't do their job. And that's an indictment on our society and our culture that we're going to be dealing with for, for a very, very long time. But now when we do these studies and we look at these numbers, we can't just sit back and talk about it. We got to make a way. There's a reason why the, the, the people that are running Facebook, the people that are running these social media outlets, do not let their kids own those outlets. There's a reason why they do that. And that's all I'm going to say. There's a reason why those folks do that because they know the ramifications that come if they allow their kids to be on those outlets. So just think about that. Now I want to shift in this segment to, to something that Mike Lee pointed out. Uh, Senator Mike Lee from Utah pointed out last week, and he, he posted this on February 16th. He said, effective today, the U.S. Department of Defense is offering a new benefit Military personnel and department or dependent family members. So military personnel and dependent family members 
who choose to have an abortion will now receive three weeks of paid leave and reimbursement for travel expenses. Michael Lee says this, what message does that send, not just about how DOD values human life, but about how it feels about DOD personnel who choose to have children? Sure, they're offering a corresponding benefit to those seeking IVF to have a child, but that benefit will apply so far or to far fewer people. When the Pentagon pays for your travel and gives you three weeks of paid leave to have an abortion, could women serving in the military reasonably hear the message as, we really don't want any of you to get pregnant, and if you do, we really, really want you to have an abortion? Within the military, where there's already so much emphasis on the physical condition of each service member, what message will this policy send to women who are or may become pregnant? To some, the message might come across as loud and suffocatingly clear. We frown on your decision to have a baby, so much so that we'll shell out a lot of money and give you three weeks of free leave to get an abortion if you get pregnant. Orthodoxy, conformity, and fidelity to the cause are far more prized in the military than elsewhere, making this an unusually intense form of pressure. This reminds me of why Susan B. Anthony and other early feminists warned that abortion could be used by men to leave women and all the meaningful responsibilities associated with a sexual relationship. If she wants a child, that's her problem because I don't, is what some of those men would say. Mike Lee finished up by saying, My concerns with this policy aren't just about abortion itself. They're about what signal this sends to military families, and especially military women, who choose to have children rather than prevent or abort them. That signal is not an encouraging one. So, you know, Roe's overturned, and now in Washington, they're looking at creative ways to fund abortion. We've seen businesses do that, do this. We've seen colleges do this. And now we're seeing the DOD do this. And, and again, like Mike Lee said, what message is this sending? Oh, well, we care deeply about, about women, and we want you to have your abortion. And you may be stationed in a state that doesn't allow for abortion, so we'll pay for your travel. We'll pay for your travel to go get that abortion. We'll even give you three weeks off, and then you'll be back to go back to that desk or to go back on that battlefield or to go back to work, which is ultimately where we want you anyway. Not being a mom. Not taking care of your responsibilities. At home, we want you doing what we want you to do. This message that we're sending you know, it, it boggles my mind. We're dealing with adolescents and young teen girls that are dealing with depression and anxiety and pressure. And the culture says we've got to do something. The secular culture, the, the Christian culture, and every culture in between saying we've got to do something. And then at the same time, our politicians say we've got to get you more abortions we got to compound trauma on top of trauma. You know, we, we got to do that. And folks, that's not the answer. It's never been the answer. It never will be the answer. Instead of creating environments, and I sound like a broken record, but instead of creating environments 
that allow for families to flourish, that allows that mom to be everything she wants to be in the military while also being a mom. Instead of these businesses and organizations saying, look, we're going to pay for daycare. We're going to provide daycare at our company, or we're going to allow for days where you can actually bring your child with you. We're going to allow for room for you to be the parent that you need to be. We're going to allow you to take off to go watch their ball game, to go watch their ballet recital. We're going to allow for that. Now, instead of that, they're saying, we'll pay for your abortion because we've got to get you back on this we got to get you back in your cubicle. We've got to get you back creating these widgets so that we can sell them. And that baby's just going to get in the way anyway. So go get your abortion. We'll pay for it. You take a, a few weeks off and then get back to work. Instead of saying, hey, we're a family company. We're going to celebrate your pregnancy. Your job's going to be here when you get back. We want you to spend time with your child, with your family. We want you to take all that in. And, and, and if you're a good mom and a, and a, a good spouse and, and you're, you're working toward those ends, we know for a fact you're going to be a good employee. You're going to be good for us. And so we want to be a part of that. This is why when, when, when companies often will say, hey, we're like family here. And then at the same time say, we're going to pay for your abortion. We ain't like family. That's not family. That's simply telling those employees, all you're good for is creating these widgets, sitting at your desk, doing our bidding. And we can't allow for a baby to get in the way of that. That's the message. Now they think, and in terms of our culture, in many ways, they're celebrated for these decisions. You know, it makes them look good. Hey, we, we're all for abortion. Go get your abortion. But what, what the abortion proponents are missing in all of this is this is, this is greed. It's greed. Look, I'm a capitalist through and through. But there's ways of doing it that would prevent us from ending the life of an unborn child. It's not about profits no matter what. It's about what, what kind of legacy are we leaving? What is our DOD telling moms? You know, you're, you're better for us if you don't have these kids. You can do more for us. And it's worth you taking three weeks off if that means it's over and done with. And then we're not worried about little Susie's ballet recital when she's four years old. We're not worried about little Johnny playing baseball at seven and you needing time off. You know, you go take care of that now. We'll take the three weeks. You go take your three weeks off, and then we'll get you back to work. Instead of, the message from the Department of Defense should be, hey, we're going to foster environments that allow families to flourish. And if you want to have children, we're going to be there for you. 
We want you to be at little Susie's ballet recital when she's four. We want you to be at little Johnny's ball game when he's seven. We want you to be a part of that. We want them to grow up knowing how we treat their mom, how we treat their dad. We want them to grow up knowing that we care. You see, that's how you create legacy. But instead, Washington is looking for ways to use yours and my taxpayer dollars to fund abortion. And they're going to do it in a number of different ways. And one of those is through the Department of Defense. And it's a shame. And there are some folks in D.C. fighting it. And we'll see what happens there. But it's a shame. It's nothing to be a proud, nothing to be proud of. The freest and greatest country this planet has ever seen. The strongest and biggest military this country, this world has ever seen. And we're seeking to pay for abortions. We'll be back. God of wonders beyond all galaxy. You are As we finish up today, look, we, we covered a lot of ground. Um, and, and the goal is never to, to shame or make anyone feel, feel bad. I mean, a lot of what I do on this show every week is, is also speaking to me. Like, it, it's, a, it's something that I'm dealing with, something that I'm struggling with. Uh, and when it comes to the, the, the topics that we've covered today, especially concerning the, the new data from the CDC, it's something that I struggle with. And, and, you know, because I justify, well, I need all this access to all this stuff, and that's why I have my phone, and I, I can quickly email, I can quickly look up an article, I can quickly do this or do that or post or, or scan this or, or whatever. And the reality is much of that is because I just want to be tethered to it. And so it's a struggle. You know, and we're adamant at the Wood household about when our kids will have access to those things and it seems like every year it gets further out i mean we were at 15 years old they would get one and then now it's 16 years old and, and who knows and some people will say oh y'all are just fuddy duds and and you're being too strict no it's, it's not that we're concerned that's all we're concerned not to say that that other families aren't concerned it's just that's a concern of ours and part of that concern comes from my addictive personality. And so the, the, the wonder and the question is, do my kids have that same addictive personality? And so if I gave them that and I said, hey, I'm going to filter it and all this stuff, but, but would that ultimately do anything? All I'm saying is we need to wrestle with it. And the culture is going to try to wrestle with it one way, but the culture is speaking out of two sides of their mouth. And so it makes it very difficult for the culture to find an answer to this. Because those same folks that are saying this data is staggering and concerning would also look at a little 12-year-old boy and say, you think you're a girl, then you're a girl, and vice versa. And so that's not the answer. And so if we, if we sit around and we look for the answer from the culture, from a secular society, then you probably are going to be very, very disappointed with the answer that you get. 
So what I would encourage you to do is look for the answers in the scriptures, look for the answers from a biblical worldview. Those are the things that are going to make a difference, that are going to leave a legacy, that are going to have lasting impacts, eternal impacts. And I'm going to, I'm going to leave you with this quote. It's from a, a pastor, Reverend Calvin Robinson. He said this, Christ spent time with tax collectors and prostitutes, but it is they who went away changed, not Christ. It is they who went away changed, not Christ. So I'm not telling you to disengage from the world. I'm not telling you to disengage from your neighbors. I'm not telling you to just live in a bubble. Now, there are days where I really want to do that, if I'm honest. But, but often people will say things like, well, well, Christ hung out with the tax collectors. Christ hung out with the drunkards. Christ hung out with the riffraff. Christ hung out with the sinners. And they say it almost as a badge of honor. That's why I go and do what I do. And the reality is, the difference was when Christ hung out with them, Christ didn't walk away going, man, I've, my life has changed forever. Now that I see a different way, I'm going to go follow that way. No, when Christ left their presence, he wasn't the one that was changed. It was they that were changed. When he met the woman at the well, what happened? Her life was changed forever. When the woman of the street came in and washed the, washed the feet of Jesus with her tears, her life was changed forever. When he saw the naked man and he called the demons out, that man's life was changed forever. When he called Zacchaeus down, that man's life was changed forever. And the list goes on and on and on and on. See, it, it wasn't that the society and culture was seeking or, or were, were having success in changing Jesus. No, Jesus was changing them. We don't take our cues from a lost culture. We take the good news to the lost culture. Unapologetically so. It's a blessing. It's a blessing to share the greatest news the world has ever seen. It makes a difference. Do that at home. Do that at work. Do that in your circles of influence. Do that with your neighbors. And watch as God moves. We'll be back next week. Talk to you soon.